Well, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to see everybody. Um, I've never preached in Carrickfergus Baptist before, but there's a little connection. My pastor is Paul Savage, uh, so my home church is Craig Avon Baptist, so um, I send the greetings from Craig Avon, and it really is lovely to be here, and thank you for your, for your warm welcome, and uh, may the Lord bless you and bless us all this morning as we open up his word and hear what he has to say to us all. I wonder if you could turn with me to Second Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy and chapter 1. And we're going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to verse 7. And before we turn to God's Word, let's just come before the Lord in prayer. Let's just pray. Eternal Heavenly Father, we thank you once again, Father, that we can enter into your presence, and we can come into your presence boldly. We thank you, Father, that we've got direct access into your presence because we come in and through the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, as we enter into your presence, we rejoice this morning in our salvation because we don't come as foreigners or strangers. We don't come as people who are, who are distant from you, but Father, we thank you that we are your people and we have been saved, saved to the uttermost because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross at Calvary. Father, we thank you for our Lord and Savior. We thank you for the one who on the cross at Calvary shed his precious blood for all of us, paid for our sins in full, redeemed us, and indeed has forgiven us of all of our sins. So, Father, we thank you this morning indeed for the resurrection for that third day in which he rose from the dead. And we thank you, Father, that he reigns in glory. And because he lives, we live. We have eternal life in Christ Jesus through faith in him. And Father, we thank you that we've got a great hope, that great inheritance that is undefiled and incorruptible and will never fade away. We thank you, Father, that there is that place in glory that has been prepared for us. It is kept and reserved by your power and your almighty hand. And Father, we thank you that we're on a journey, a journey that will one day lead to glory with the Lord. But until that time, we pray, Father, that you would move in the hearts of your people, that you will work in each and every one of our hearts by your Spirit, and that you will indeed conform us more onto the likeness of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we think about anybody here this morning who have not yet put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this morning, Father, that as the gospel is proclaimed, as the word of God is read, as, Father, men and women here live lives that glorify God, we pray that indeed the Holy Spirit would convict and cut into the hearts of those who are outside of Christ, and indeed that they would put their faith in Christ and in Christ alone. Father, we pray that this morning as your word is proclaimed, that it wouldn't be of human words or human thoughts or human wisdom, but indeed it would be your word. And indeed, Father, that everything that is said be in accordance with your word and your will. And above all, 
We pray that you and you alone would be given the glory. And we pray these things in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. Sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. So 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also." Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. And finish reading in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. The Apostle Paul Uh, is the author of this letter. We see that right at the very beginning. The Apostle Paul uh, has written this letter to Timothy. And we'll speak about Timothy in a moment. But Paul, just to give a little bit of the context of this letter, Paul is writing this letter while he is in prison, in a Roman prison. Paul speaks about that in chapter 2, where he speaks about being treated as an evildoer and that he is in chains. Paul isn't in prison because he's done anything wrong. Paul is not there because he has done any evil. He is there because he loves the Lord. He's there because he has shared his faith and he has proclaimed boldly the gospel. You see, when you progress the gospel, when you share your faith, when a church goes out and proclaims the gospel to a lost world, two things will always happen. The conversion of sinners and the persecution of saints. Every time. And indeed, by God's grace and to God be the glory, Paul's ministry has seen many souls converted to Christ. But Paul is now experiencing the persecution that comes when you burn brightly for Christ. And that persecution is brutal. He's in prison, and he is indeed awaiting execution. This wasn't like his first time in prison where he was in rented accommodation and he was able to receive visitors. No, Paul is here in prison, in chains, awaiting execution. He is about to enter into the near presence of the Lord. At the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, My departure is at hand. I'm now about to be poured out as a drink offering. And the day of my departure is at hand. Paul knows that he is about to die. He's about to be executed. But the interesting thing is, he's not despondent. I mean, he's pretty much alone. 
He makes the comment at the end of 2 Timothy that only Luke remains. He says, you know, at my first defense, no one stood with me. So Paul, humanly speaking, seems to be very much alone, but he's not alone. Because Paul says, at his first defense, no one stood with me, but the Lord stood with me. The Lord stands with Paul. And Paul is not despondent. He's not discouraged. In fact, he is bold. He's on fire for the Lord, even in his chains. Because the other thing that happens when persecution comes to the church and to our lives, two other things happen. The gospel is progressed and God's people become bolder every time. And so when persecution comes, know this, that the gospel will be progressed by God's grace and you and I will become bolder. And Paul is bold. And he writes this letter to Timothy to encourage him and to instruct him. Timothy, who's the pastor of the church in Ephesus, facing all manner of problems and challenges, Paul writes this letter to encourage his beloved Timothy, his spiritual son in the Lord. Paul is about to be executed, but he is a confident he's on fire for the Lord. He says that very famous phrase, he has fought the good fight. He has finished the race. He has kept the faith. And now, Paul says, awaits for me the crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge will give to me on that day, and not just to me, but all who love his appearing. Even though Paul is on his own, even though he's in chains, even though he's about to to, to be executed for his faith, even though he's been abandoned by many people, Paul is on fire for the Lord. And he's finishing well. And brothers and sisters, we must finish well. We don't know when the Lord will return. We don't know when we will go to him. We don't know that moment, that hour. The Lord knows, but nobody else does. This may well be our last day. It may well be your last day. And how well am I finishing? How well are you finishing? Are you on fire for the Lord this morning? Are you sharing your faith? Are you serving the Lord with passion and enthusiasm? Or perhaps this morning, you can't really identify with that, even as a Christian. Perhaps this morning, you're just going through the motions this morning. You're here, but you're not quite here. You're somewhere else. Your mind is elsewhere. Your heart is elsewhere. You once were on fire for the Lord, but you're, you've entered into a phase, what I call treadmill in the Christian faith. You're doing all the right things. You're appearing at all the right places. You're saying all the right words, but your heart is far from the Lord. That fire that you once had, that passion that you once had is no longer there. You've gone into like a mechanical type Christianity, going through the motions. You've entered into a spiritual rut, and you're distant from God. You know, a brother, when we were up in the prayer meeting there, was quoting, I think he was quoting from Revelation 2 in his prayer where he said about abandoning our first love. You read through Revelation 2, 
The church at Ephesus then, they were doing all the right things. They had the lights on, they had the building, they had the church, they had the songs, and they were preaching from the Word of God. They were doing all the right things, and God commended them for that, but He said, I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love. And if you've grown cold on your journey of faith, then one thing, you're not alone. We've all been there. To one extent or another, to one degree or another, at one time or another, we've all been there. And what is the way back? Recognize it. If what I've said is you, recognize it. Repent. As, has been, as, as, was, as the church was exhorted to do in Revelation chapter 2. Remove whatever it is that has caused you to fall, to cause you to falter, to cause you to become distant from the Lord. Remove it. We sometimes wonder, why do I keep repeating that sin? Because you haven't removed that which causes you to commit that sin. Remove it and then restore your relationship with God so you can refocus on the Lord Jesus Christ. The five R's, recognize, repent, remove, restore, and refocus on the Lord. We all want to finish well. We all want to be like Paul. I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now awaits for me the crime of righteousness. So Paul writes this letter to Timothy. And Paul, let's say, for example, we, we've only picked up the Bible today for the first time. And let's say we've only, with the first letter that we've, we've read is 2 Timothy. So what I'm trying to say is, let's say we didn't know anything about Paul. Let's say we didn't know that he once was known as Saul. And we didn't know that he was a persecutor of Christians. We didn't know that he was the chief of sinners. We didn't know that he actually caused Christians to blaspheme. He imprisoned Christians. He consented to their execution. Let's say we didn't know about his road to Damascus experience where he met the risen Christ and his life was changed from somebody who rejected Christ and persecuted the Christians to a man that by God's grace could say in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they may obtain salvation in Christ Jesus. What a turnaround. Let's say we don't know any of that about Paul. And the first time we meet Paul is today, when we open up 2 Timothy. What do we know about Paul from these early few verses? If you read those early few verses, Paul mentions the Lord Jesus Christ three times in two verses. Paul says he is an apostle of Jesus Christ in verse 1, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says he's a servant or apostle of Jesus Christ. He has been given the promise of life in Christ Jesus. And all he has, grace, mercy, and peace, comes from Jesus Christ. Paul is all about Jesus Christ. 
and you get that straight away. We don't need to know about him. We don't need to know about his background. We have just been introduced to the Apostle Paul this very morning, and everybody in this room knows from those first couple of verses, he's all about Christ. His message, his mandate, his ministry, his life is all about Jesus Christ. And you get it straight away. Brothers and sisters, when people meet you for the first time, do they get straight away that you're all about Christ? That you follow the Lord, that you love the Lord, that you serve the Lord? When people meet me for the first time, is that what they get? Or do they just get, oh, I met that guy Philip and he, he runs that business and carried off somewhere. He seems to be a businessman of some sorts. Or maybe when they meet you for the first time, oh, that guy's big into his golf, talks about his golf all the time. Or that lady, she loves her, loves her travel, loves her holidays. She talked about the various destinations that she went. Every time you meet her, she talks about the next holiday she's going to go on. What are you known for? When people look at you, what, what are you known as? What are you known for? As God's people, we're to be known as people who love the Lord and who follow the Lord. Perhaps as you reflect on this this morning, the question to our, all of our hearts is when we do meet somebody, when do they know that we follow Christ? In the first day that they meet us? The first week? The first month? Maybe you're in a workplace in an office, and nobody around you knows that you're a Christian. Maybe you're living in a neighborhood, and the neighbors around you, they don't know that you're a Christian either. You've kept it quiet. You haven't put out your stall for Christ. There's been a timidity in your presentation of the gospel. And as God's people, we need to be known as men and women of God who love the Lord. I mean, people do need to know in the workplace that you're a Christian. And if they don't, there is something wrong in my life or in your life. If people don't know, how will they know the gospel? How will, how will they know about the Lord Jesus Christ? How will we even get into conversations with people about the Lord? And how do we do that? How do we set out our stall for Christ on Monday? How can everybody in this church make sure that everybody that we come in contact with know that we're a Christian? And you might say, Philip, please don't say, hand them tracts and walk into the office and preach the gospel. That's just not going to work. And you know what? I, 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 to some extent, I agree with you. Now, if you want to go into the office and preach the gospel, go for it. And if you want to go and hand tracts, do that also. But in reality, that's probably not going to happen. But here's what I would suggest you do. And I speak to myself first and foremost before I speak to anybody else. Here's what I suggest. And I say this often in my sermons. Sprinkle your conversation with the gospel. Sprinkle your narrative with the gospel. What do I mean by that? Perhaps on Monday morning, what's, what, what do people typically say to you on a Monday? What did you do on the weekend? Instead of saying, I went to a restaurant or I went, to, went out for a walk or I climbed a mountain or whatever, maybe the thing to do is say, oh yes, I was at church on Sunday morning and I had good fellowship with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Preacher wasn't that good, but the fellowship was fine. Um, 
Or, or maybe when they say to you, what do you plan to do on the weekend? Maybe just slip in, God willing, I'm hoping to go too. Or, or, or the Lord really strengthened me in that regard. Or I was praying the other day that, do you know what I mean? It's just sprinkling your conversation with the gospel. That's good because it sanctifies your speech. It probably sanctifies the speech of everybody else. And you know and I know people talk. People will get wise to that. People don't miss anything. And they will hear that. He's, is he one of those churchgoers? Is she one of those Christian people? And guaranteed at some stage you'll get into a conversation. And it'll be easier to get into the conversation about Christ because you're already setting out your stall for the Lord. You're sprinkling your conversation with the gospel. I would encourage you to do that so that we will burn brightly for Christ. There's a lost world out there. They don't know the gospel, and they're not hearing it. They can only hear it from us. So let us sprinkle our conversation with the gospel and burn brightly for Christ. Paul speaks to, addresses this letter to Timothy. He says, to Timothy, a beloved son. Now, let's say we don't know much about Timothy. Uh, we, we, we don't know about how Paul brought him into ministry. We don't know a lot about his background. Let's say, like Paul, we've just been introduced to Timothy here this morning. Now, what we know about Timothy, we can find in, 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 in verse 5. It says this, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Timothy is known as a man of unwavering faith. Genuine or sincere faith. In other words, whatever's going on in Timothy's life, whatever Timothy has to go through, whatever he must endure, Timothy has an unwavering faith in the Lord. He doesn't change. He just keeps on going. He's consistent on his journey of faith. He's not up and down. He's not tossed to and fro. And we as God's people are to be like Timothy, that unwavering and genuine faith. Circumstances may change, we may face great difficulties and persecution, troubles, but our faith must remain secure in the Lord. Our faith must, must remain unwavering. And so Paul writes this letter to Timothy, and, and you know, Timothy, as we read a little bit later on, is, is, um, is a nervous guy. He's also a young fella. And if you look at 1 Timothy, you'll find that he has a little physical ailment. So he's got a physical ailment, he's nervous, and he's young. <laughs> but yet, Paul brought him into ministry. Isn't that interesting? You know, sometimes in church life, and I've never been to this church, so I won't know about, about this church, but sometimes in church life, we go for the good communicators. We go for the people who are at the very center of things. We go for people who've got natural skills and natural abilities. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul doesn't look at the externalities of Timothy's timidity or his youth or his physical ailments. Paul looks at the heart. He soul gazes and sees a man of sincere and genuine faith. He sees a man who loves the Lord. And the application for our own hearts this morning 
is that when you're placing somebody in the ministry, when you're appointing a Sunday school teacher, a Bible class leader, a youth leader, an elder, a deacon, choose people who love the Lord. Choose people who you can see they may have their weaknesses, they may have their limitations, they may be young, they may be old, doesn't matter. If they love the Lord, everything else falls into place. And if you're seeking the Lord's will and maybe being led into a particular ministry, maybe to be an elder in this church or a deacon, I suggest on the morning that you consider it, you look around at the church and ask yourself the question, do I love everybody in this fellowship by God's grace? And if you say yes, go into ministry. Timothy was a man who loved the Lord, and that was the criteria. And Paul brought him in to ministry. And you know, Paul used his time in prison well. He says in in, in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly designed to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. Paul uses his time well. He, He uses this time in prison in his chains to think, reflect, and pray. To spend time in the Word, to think, to reflect, to meditate on the Word, and to pray daily. And out of that thinking, reflecting, and praying, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he, re- he writes Second Timothy. And as God's people, we need to be men and women of God who think, reflect, and pray daily. Now let me look at that first of all from an individual point of view. Have you this morning already thought, reflected, and prayed? Maybe in your own devotional life, maybe you're struggling. Maybe you haven't spent time in the quiet place for some time. Maybe it's been weeks, months, maybe even longer since you have had that quiet time with the Lord. And again, if that is your experience, you're not alone. That is a real struggle for many believers. I know that. I know that in my own life. Even as, as someone who, who preaches the Word, who, who, who's involved in leadership in churches, I, I know that the devotional life can be a real struggle, can be a real battle, and maybe you can identify with that today. And the application for the week ahead is that each and every one of us should spend time thinking, reflecting, and pray. How do we do that? I suggest... Uh, my, my wife and I would go into charity shops from time to time looking at various things and, and getting stuff for the house and, and, and redoing them. Well, I don't redo them. Sharon does them. But, but, but nonetheless, we go into charity shops. And a few weeks ago, I was in a charity shop and it was, there was a little book on the shelf saying the three-minute devotional. And you know, if you haven't been spending time with the Lord, I would encourage you to take a three-minute with the Lord on Monday and three minutes on Tuesday. You might say, Philip, we should be spending a lot more time than that. And we should but the Christian life is brick by brick. Sometimes you might say, and you might be encouraged this morning to get back into the devotional life, and you surround yourself with commentaries, you surround yourself with books, and you just kind of burn out after a week. I would encourage you to just take three minutes with the Lord and then build on that, to think, reflect, and pray. Think, read a little passage, reflect, meditate on His Word, and pray. And as a church... I've never been to Carrick Fergus Baptist, as I said, so I don't know what your prayer life is like. 
But I want to encourage you as a fellowship in these days, take time together as a fellowship to meet together for that corporate prayer time. Take time to call out to the Lord. You want God to move in your life and in the life of this community? Then it'll come when you call out to God, when you pray. Programs and activities, they're all important, but that's not going to change hearts. It's only when you call out to God, when you pray together as a fellowship and on your knees in the quiet place, that God will move in the messiness of our life and in the life of this community. And perhaps your pattern is that you don't do Wednesdays or whenever the day is that you have that prayer meeting. And maybe you're pretty settled on that. I've noticed that in church leadership. You've got couples, you've got families, and they just say very clearly to you, I don't do Wednesdays or I don't do evenings. We've just decided not to do that. I want to encourage you to break that pattern and to go to that place of prayer. And I think sometimes when we call it a midweek, it can be, it can be easy to get out of. <laughs> you know, you, you say to your partner, you're going to the midweek tonight? No, nah, I don't think I'll bother. It's easy to say we're not going to the midweek. But if you say, do you want to come with God's people, with the family of God, and call out in the name of the Lord and be in his presence, you're hardly likely to say, no, I'll stay here and watch EastEnders. You're going to go. Sometimes language is important. We get into this sort of churchy sort of language, and it's almost as if sometimes we're running this community organization or something. This is... We are God's people, and the Lord is with us, and he wants us to call out to him. So if you've already decided in your heart, I ain't doing that, Philip, let me just change that. (laughs) Change that. Go and spend time with God's people calling out in the name of the Lord and watching God move in the messiness of life. Paul then carries on to say in verse 5, I remember, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and am persuaded in you also. Paul speaks here of spiritual legacy. Very clearly, Timothy's grandmother and his mother was great, was, were, were great role models for Timothy. It was because of them that Timothy probably came to faith. Their example... They burned brightly for Christ. They set out their stall for the Lord. And Timothy was influenced by that. Paul was also a role model for Timothy. If you read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he speaks about how you, Timothy, have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith. Now, I know the mindset sometimes in church life will say, oh, don't follow me, don't follow my example. You wouldn't want to follow me. Follow him, but don't follow me. And we kind of do that. But we should be confident about being exemplary role models to those who are young and young in the faith in this church. And you know what? As my wife would often say, you know, people don't listen to what you say. They don't pay a lot of attention to their actions but they will follow your patterns and practices. They will, whether you like it or not. And you know, if those who are old and older in the faith, if we were all to get into a plane today and and fly off to Australia and leave those who are young and young in the faith, and as we got onto the plane, 
heading off to Australia or wherever, we said to those who are young and young in the faith, you follow our example. You follow our example in the way we did church. What would we come back to in 20 years' time? I think in some churches, they would come back in 20 years' time and they would maybe come to the Wednesday night prayer meeting and the doors are shut. And on the Sunday morning, we come, having been away for 20 years, having told the young people to follow our patterns and practices, we go and we see one of the young people and we say, why is there no prayer meeting? Oh, you told us, Philip, to follow your patterns and practices. We noticed that not many people went to the prayer meeting. We didn't think it was that important, so therefore, we don't have it anymore. What, you don't have a prayer meeting? No. You told us to follow your lead. Then you come to the Lord's table, and it's not there. There's no participation in the Lord's table. And you say, "Are, are you no longer doing the Lord's table? Oh, no, we are doing the Lord's table, Philip, but just not that frequently three or four times a year. Why? Well, so many people left before the Lord's table. So many people didn't attend the Lord's Supper. So many people didn't think it was necessary. So we followed your pattern and practice, and we don't have it that frequently because it mustn't have been that important. As God's people, what example are we setting to those who are young and young in the faith? They're not going to listen to what you say. They're not even going to pay much attention to their actions, but they will follow your patterns and practices. And let us, by God's grace and by God's enabling, have good, godly patterns and practices that people will follow for the glory of God. So the next generation will be on fire for Christ. We'll be gathered together with numbers that are like this in this room, calling out in the name of the Lord and seeking his, his, his blessing in their lives and in the lives of the community. And as I finish, Paul says this, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of sound mind. Paul says to Timothy, who's struggling in the church for all manner of reasons, False teachers has got into the church. They're facing the persecution of the world. He's facing a lot of challenges. But Paul says to him, stir up that gift of ministry. Burn brightly for Christ. Because God has given not you a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and sound mind. He has given you the Holy Spirit. He has love changed your heart and has given you a new and renewed mind to serve him. And that applies to everybody here who calls in the name of the Lord. We have power, the Holy Spirit, love, a love that, that loves the unlovable a changed heart, and a renewed mind to serve the Lord with boldness and confidence. And if you're struggling a little this morning, if you're a little bit distant from the Lord, then think of those five R's of revival. Recognize it. Repent. Repent of that sin. It is a sin. You see, being apathetic and indifferent to the Lord, that's sin. Repent of it. Remove whatever caused you to get into that place so you can restore your relationship with the Lord and refocus on Him. And so as I close, the Apostle Paul, we don't know much about him because we've just opened up this book, but we know he loves the Lord. 
And when people meet you for the first time, the environments that you find yourself in, make sure that people know who you are and who you follow. Make sure that you, they know that you serve a risen Savior. Make sure that you love the Lord Jesus Christ and are following Him. And the way to do that is by sprinkling your conversation with the gospel. Plenty of God willing, I pray that the Lord strengthen me in that way so you can get that opportunity at some stage, at some time, to share your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for you, the one who shed his precious blood so that you might be forgiven, the one who redeemed you through his precious blood on the cross at Calvary. And like Timothy, let us have that unwavering faith. Let's be strong in our faith. Let's move forward together for the, for the glory of God. And don't bypass the young. And don't bypass the timid. Don't bypass the ones who don't necessarily have those natural gifts. Look for people who love the Lord. And you can't go too far wrong. And indeed, let us be exemplary role models. Let us make sure that people are following good, godly patterns and practices for God's glory and for the extension of his kingdom. And indeed, take that time, brothers and sisters, to think, reflect, and pray. If the, if the quiet place has been something you've struggled with, take three minutes to think, reflect, and pray, and build on that in the weeks to come. And as a fellowship, spend time together in prayer. Call out in the name of the Lord. Call out that he will move in your life and in the life of this community so that we, as God's people, will burn brightly for Christ, not only living for Christ, but encouraging others to do so. Amen. Let's just close in prayer. Eternal Father, we thank you for this time around your word. We thank you, Father, for this time that we've been able to spend on Second Timothy. Father, we thank you how you've instructed us through your word. And Father, we just pray that you would revive your people. You would stir up that gift of ministry that, that lies in all of us, Father. We pray, Father, that if we are in an apathetic state, if we are going through the motions, Father, that you would revive our hearts and that we would indeed be a prayerful people, that we would realize that programs and activities, yes, they're important, yes, they're necessary, but underline it all and over it all must be a people who call on the name of the Lord. Father, we pray that we would be a prayerful people in these days and that we would live lives that are God-glorifying, reflecting of Jesus Christ, that our godly patterns and practices would indeed be followed by others and that we would be an exemplary role model as we burn brightly for Christ in this very dark world. Father, we pray in the week ahead that we would sprinkle our conversations with the gospel, that we would take time in the quiet place, and that indeed, Father, that you would move in our hearts and indeed in the hearts of those we love and the hearts of those that we spend time with who are not yet in, the, in, in Christ. Father, we pray that for boldness in your people, we pray, Father, that we would burn brightly for Christ. And indeed, Father, we would pray that many, even in these days, would come to faith in Jesus Christ, the one who did it all on the cross at Calvary, the one who gave his life so that we might live, the one who shed his precious blood to forgive us of all of our sins. Father, we pray that our lives would be marked as men and women of God who follow Christ, who love Christ, and live for Christ, for your glory and for your glory alone. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.
our closing hymn, "'Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus." Stand in the same.